Welcome to the ITAM Review Podcast, news, reviews and resources for ITAM, SAM and software licensing professionals. Hello and welcome to the ITAM Review radio show. My name is Martin Thompson from the ITAM Review. This is the last podcast of 2019 and I'd like to thank the regulars on the radio show, which is AJ Witt from the ITAM Review, Barry Pilling, uh, Barry's a data center specialist around data center licensing, uh, David Foxen, independent consultant, uh, independent SAM consultant, Jeff Worsley, SAM technical specialist, Kylie Fowler, uh, management consultant, Rory Canavan, our resident process god, Stuart Pomfret, who sells stuff at SEC, I'm sure he could articulate that better than I could, um, it, this is a podcast we recorded live and in person at SEC in central London uh, on the 18th of December. We had a lot of fun, uh, but the sound isn't great, so apologies for that. Uh, but we had a great time recording it. We had uh, Rachel Ryan join us um, and Scott Beasley from Danske Bank. Rachel Ryan is a very vocal uh, uh, leader in the SAM field that was at AstraZeneca for a long time. Recently moved across to Danske Bank to build to stand up a new SAM practice, and is joined by Scott Beasley, who was formerly at Licensed Dashboard, uh, selling SAM solutions, is now going back to end userland. So it's a very interesting discussion with both of them, and we cover the regular topics as well. Thank you for listening throughout 2019, and we look forward to connecting with you in 2020. Have a great Christmas, and without further ado, here's the podcast. Woo! Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, go for it. Adobe reporting big revenues. Any views on this? Yeah, anyone seen this story? Yeah, uh, it's uh, annual revenue this year, eleven billion dollars. Thank you very much. That's uh, up from about five billion in 2016. So clearly, they're a traditional software company that have moved to a subscription licensing model, working very well for them. Um, Creative Cloud and Document Cloud's about three quarters of that revenue. So they're busy kind of branching out and diversifying as well, but it's just general. I mean, they're just piling on the numbers. Um, three billion in revenue this quarter um, out of all those Creative Cloud subscriptions that everyone buys and nobody uses and nobody manages. Um, so I guess, I guess the thing for us is um, make the numbers worse next year. I suppose that gives them a lot of money to go buying. Well, it does. They bought Marketo, Mark II, mm. I say, and um, a few others, so they're acquisitive. Marketo but, was bought by Salesforce, wasn't it? Do you mean Marketo? Magneto. They bought Magneto. Oh, they Magneto. bought another one whose name escapes me at the moment. But uh, yeah, you may be right. But I think if you look at the share price, since they went cloud only, it's gone like a the proverbial monkey mm. stick. So it has worked. And you know, they've obviously addressed that problem they had with um, perpetual license software being heavily pirated and, and not really very, very well managed. Um, so yeah, you know, clearly they've turned it around for themselves big time. Oh uh, yeah, Marketo, Mark II, whatever they're called, are an Adobe acquisition. So yeah, that, that's, that's Adobe, hot off the press, um, log me in, um, gone private. So they've been acquired by private equity. They own um, GoToMeeting. They also own LastPass. If you're using LastPass for your um, Password management, uh, you're now owned by private equity. Um, quite a big deal, about four billion, I think it was. Um, but the key is, the key is the people who own them now also own Attachmate and are kind of sort of 
in that whole area of potentially being quite interested in making some money out of um, audits, I would think. Aggressive. Yes, yes, yeah, potentially. And I, and from, from personal experience, I know Log Me In and all those things are really badly managed. Um, they tend to be bottom-up acquisitions that the department's got and do themselves. And so, yes, watch out, I would say. Um, it's quite easy to overuse that software or use it against its license terms. Something to look for for next year, definitely. The interesting thing about Log Me In is actually Log Me In itself is a tiny piece of that business now. Mm -hmm. GoToMeeting is a big bit. They've also got some interesting security style stuff, which I guess the last pass yeah. features in. But yeah, because I was out to dinner with a couple of guys from, from Ireland about two, three months ago, and they were saying that she loved me and it's fairly minimal now. Yeah. It's the go to meeting, which they, I guess, got from Citrix. Yeah. And uh, yeah. lots of other acquisitions yeah. along the way. Well, Log Me In kind of gives you a way in because virtually everyone, mm. as an administrators, have got Log Me In somewhere for just yeah. helping getting little bits of data down and everywhere. So, yeah, give us them a get in. And actually, we we posted a, a Log Me In versus Team Viewer uh, comparison, and Log Me In was significantly more expensive than, than Team Viewer. And it's one of those things, yes, you end up doing support calls with third parties, and they say, oh, can we use Log Me In? So, you install it. Yeah, and then somebody's yeah. in your network. Um, so that's the challenge, I think. It's a bit like Nero on the CDs when you used to get it with virtually everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, you couldn't you couldn't buy anything without having to get Nero or something yeah. like that. Yeah. So yeah. Is it non-instance based, or is it is it recognisable uh, for end users to sort of preempt? I think it's user based. Yeah. It's it's user based, and there are there are installed components, so your traditional tools will pick it up. It's a full mm. print there. As footprints are fined, and and um, but there's I, there's a whole bunch of plans from what I remember. I know, and also there's things like people will, will commonly share logins for it, um, and that breaks license agreement, for mm -hmm. example. So um, it's definitely one to watch out for. And I think no, log me in's gone private, but of course they're busy having their lunch eaten by Zoom and Blue Jeans yeah. and all these new startups in, in web conferencing. So. You know, is it is it a cash cow? Is it is it it's one of those kind of ones that's there's some revenue there that they're just going to maximise? But is the shared accounts thing your biggest thing on compliance issues? And for those of us in the south, that's last pass. <laughs> last pass. <laughs> <laughs> but is that your biggest concern from a compliance point of view? Account share. Um, is that what people should be looking out for in twenty twenty? I think so. I, I'm trying to remember when I used to manage it. I think once, if you haven't got a subscription, then you can't use it. Um, as such, so it, but people would just routinely give out so self policing to, yeah. to the point, isn't it? Yeah. So it's kind of it's kind of I guess how could they discover, you know, which machines it's on versus who's, who's using those machines? Maybe basically they're going to become a little mini micro focus. Yes. Yeah. Highly possible. Oh, highly yeah. possible. I, I, I'm, I, I hate, all that. Yeah. 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 I hate to be cynical in the season of cheer, but um, yeah, potentially. Mm. You know, it's. I, I like to be cynical in this. Yeah. Got four, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it, it can easily be seen as a, as a bit of a legacy technology, and legacy technologies get exploited for audits. It's sort of small, it takes up time from organizations, mm. so it's something you have to have on your list as a priority to do your review. That it doesn't take time up, mm. you know, when you're looking to focus on other, you know, major vendors and things like that. It's just, it's just let's just do a bit of housekeeping, just make sure these are all in order because we don't want to spend three or four months. In a cantankerous verification. I think this is that really hard as well, Rach, because when it's got that smaller footprint, 
you don't have the time to go and spend on that tiny little thing because no, the business is hitting you with a million yeah. other things that you yeah, you kind don't of, prioritize. It's a hard one. That's a good way in. Okay, the investment yeah. from stakeholders that you might need to talk to, well, isn't it? The yeah. time and effort. Yeah. You're more yeah. focused yeah. on wins if all this. And and also I would say LastPass as well. LastPass, you've got like various subscription levels. Um, there are locally installed components, but how do you know whether that uses? If you're looking at locally installed components, they're going to be the same whether you're a free user or a subscription paid for user. So how do you do that discovery? How do you know? Yeah. Yeah. And how would they verify anyway? The same things. Who knows? Spots? Whatever. We go and read the audit clause that no one read because they all installed it themselves rather than going through IT. Or do an SAP indirect usage thing. Say you send us the data, then we'll tell you how you're non-compliant. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a challenge. It's one of those ones that isn't kind of enterprise software that people maybe don't manage and might you just have a quick and i'll typically spend a lot of money on these types of things yeah it's it's, it's one of those kind of like ju just check this lie of the land and see see if you might have a problem mm -hmm. i think also you need to look at what's in the log me portfolio because log me is the obvious one go to meetings is the obvious one last pass is one but there's a whole host of other products that would have been acquired within that mm -hmm. that you might not be aware of that's what we would normally do with that type of things we look at like anything that's been taken over by yeah. said people and uh, put those on the list. I did that in the last company, do this in the same company now. And we just say, listen, because when we do um, prioritization for onboarding vendors, yeah. that's one of the things we look at. We don't just look at sort of top spend and installs. What we do is we have another sort of angle, which is who's auditing, who's um, took over other companies, you know, the software, you know, and, and, and who. You're saying you've got like a policy and a process, right? <laughs> 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 that's on Rory. Yeah, Rory. <laughs> <laughs> you said well done, Rory. Come on. You're all learning, aren't he you? He taught me <laughs> everything <laughs> I know. You're the one customer in this process. <laughs> <laughs> so, Scott and Rachel, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So, it's Excellent. been a really exciting last 12 months um, since I joined um, Danske Bank. And um, Scott joined us in uh, June of this year as our Oracle and Software Risk Management Lead. Um, so, You're not getting your turn. You're, she's doing your turn. Yeah. That's what he was telling you. I'm just supposed to see about six months ago. So yeah, we've been it's it's been a really good year. I think one of the, the there's a couple of different things we've been doing. Uh, one of the key achievements that we've had is the software directive, which we've had a directive signed off by our um, CTO. Uh, and from that we've done a software risk and optimization process. Um um, which is really good because the governance is about working with our stakeholders and having a, a standard set of reporting. Um, and Scott can elaborate on this, but uh, Scott has been working on the software risk management and optimization, uh, but also the methodology around that, which is quite new. Um, and it's something that sort of Garten really hasn't seen uh, people doing so far. So, Scott, over to you. <laughs> you can elaborate. No, that, that segue was great. Thanks, Ray. <laughs> My name's... No, so yeah, um, it's, it's interesting working back on the user end user side uh, the last six months, just, just finding your feet and understanding are the same troubles or challenges still, still around, because I haven't been in that space for a good three or four years, uh, and they are. And we've got a few other challenges like subscription licensing, like cloud and, and hybrid cloud and things like that along the way, but something new compared to 
the likes of virtual machines and virtualization and stuff like that. So, but in terms of risk management, we've really tried to dovetail into uh, group, group IT risk and not build a cottage industry, but actually use their kind of uh, policies and procedures. Uh, we use service now as part of that and GRC model. So that's been a learning curve for me and looking at that side of things and making sure that's fit for purpose. And I can say at the moment, it's probably a, a, a vehicle that is, is getting better, but it's not there out of the box. Um, it is good for risk in general, but for software asset and software compliance risk, mm-hmm. that you might be aware of this, it's, it's not fit for purpose as such today, but you can really tweak it, customize it to build it, but that takes time and, and investment. But we basically tried to make it in a way that we manage our uh, ITAM risk locally and centrally between the team. And then we have an escalation process where we can share that with the wider audience, the key stakeholders, and then build that into service now and have a more of a corporate and global risk where we are not uh, the owners of the risk, which is really important because I think ITAM needs to be a mitigating step. It needs to influence and educate people, but we don't own the risk, either as a software application owner or an area or platform owner. Uh, and that working with the, the key stakeholders around that has been really interesting this year. Um, and also, group internal audit are really interested in that side of things, getting controls in place and the right metrics in place to manage not just gaps in, in the process, but also making sure that any compliance is managed correctly as well. So it's been really interested in that side of things. Uh, I'd love to get your view. You've, I think, if I remember rightly, you started out in end user land. Yeah. Then went to a tool supplier, amongst other things, and then you've gone back to end user. Yeah. How would you tell tool manufacturers to sell based on Seeing both sides basically because you've seen you've seen you've sold. only got an hour, Martin. You've sold and yeah. you've been sold to, presumably. Yeah. So what what's the lesson there? That's a good question. Um, in the meantime, in the middle of that, I was also a consultant as well, so I kind of done all three, I guess. But um, I think it's it's getting an understanding of the limitations of the product and, and not overselling. I think from an automation perspective. Um, it's tough, I know, but I think being honest and transparent will, will set yourself uh, more gravitas within, within, the, within that space. In, in terms of that, I think we just have to be really careful in how, how we present ourselves um, from an end user perspective. I think end users can help themselves as well and tell them what they need as well. I think um, if, if it would help if you were transparent in terms of that, in terms of coming with them. Most end users knew what they needed. Chicken and egg, which came first, both probably. Yeah, but what I find is that Sam's always tagged on into ITAM or Sam's always usually tagged on to something else. So yes. whether it be HP, whether it be uh, SCCM, you know, Uplift, whether it be whatever, it's always, oh, should we do Sam as well? It's always tagged on. It's not in its own entirety. I think that's the problem. And so they try to shoehorn it in and add an extra cost and they don't get budget and then it convolutes the process and things like that. So End users need to be aware of that as well. I don't think, I think it's a bit of a mix from both sides. Though. We did research a couple of years ago that said we went to customers of tools and said, "What's what one thing would you wish you knew before you bought it?" Something. And the number one response was, "I wish I knew how much work was involved because mm-hmm. you get sold a yeah. automation story, yeah, and it'll when you actually one. get to day one, it's actually actually I've got some work to do." Yeah, here. I think it makes it worse but, in a minute as well because I think the software. I think ITAM vendors specifically are, are going through a transition because with the cloud and subscription model, and like you said, David, in terms of that is easy, isn't it? You know, it's, 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 you don't need to manage it, it manages itself. But actually, if you look at the tool vendors' behavior, they're acquiring 
SaaS experts or, or SaaS technology to add to their platform or portfolio. So that's going to be a natural. It just so happens that um, AJ over there did the SaaS technology review, didn't you, recently for the ISAM review? Yeah, it's, it's in um, progress. Um, be published the end of February, maybe March. Um, and it's interesting actually because <laughs> because some of them are very much saying, "Here you go, here's the tool, sign up for it, use it like you with any other SaaS app." And others are having customer success, um, concierge services, white glove services, they call it. So they implement implement it for you, and they'll do that kind of managed service thing that you would get from, say, a traditional maybe even SCC. I would imagine um, management of um, you know a monthly report saying this is what you should be managing, this is what you should be doing, this is what you should be actioning. So, so some are doing tool plus services, some are doing pure tool. So, so one of AJ's reviews I'm really looking forward to seeing is Zylo, because I got that same feeling when I first saw Snow of that tool's going to make a real difference and be a real added benefit to anyone managing a big SaaS landscape. Yeah, key point though is they're not a tool, no, like a no. hybrid. They, they are a tool plus service, yeah. um, and also they're very much not, they don't, they wouldn't be selling into IT particularly, they they're seeing procurement, procurement requirements. Yeah. Yeah. Others are very much selling to IT and are maybe a bit more geeky, a bit more on the security side of things. Yeah. I was just about to say, yeah. I also had a look at Zylo mm. and they're very cost management focused, they're yeah, very yeah. workflow focused, which is super exciting. I was really excited by the workflows. But equally, I've done several pieces of work around SaaS recently and they've been driven by the security element and I drilled down into some of the security Exactly. Uh, features of Zylo, and it was. Zylo's been around for some time, though, and hasn't been acquired. Whereas some of the others are going through quite you know, quick acquisitions. Mm. Yeah, they're, they're they're very well funded. They're probably the best funded out of all the startups. Yeah. They've just got their next round of funding, so right. so they're 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 a big bite to swallow if someone wants to go and buy them. Yeah, yeah. So, but coming back to the the, the tool um, sellers, ultimately, you know. We've probably all experienced how we've gone into customers that have said, oh yeah, it will do this, this and this, out the box, the ROI is six months, okay, I'll buy it. And when the ROI doesn't materialize, it then kind of puts either that vendor or almost the industry of vendors, oh, well, hang on a minute, I don't trust this. So I think it certainly- It's back everyone a step, doesn't it? But then I guess when you get new vendors like, you know, like Zylo and those types of things, come in they can say well actually we know you've got to have services with it to make it work and therefore we can justify that as a different approach whereas the original sales only kind of oh yeah it does all that start stuff what else do you need oh, just like uh, nothing what was that oh to put what here that always oh, in really small print then they're the ones that will eventually fall foul of it unless they are able to reignite themselves and change the way they sell, change the way they acquire, and, and change the message they, they deliver. So is Zylo and like a Vendopedia hybrid is actually mm. really quite useful. So Vendopedia is kind of like a procurement tool. Like they've got services on the back of it mm. that go out and have a look at you know what you know whether you've got AAA ratings and all of those types of stuff as well as the security and all of the third party assurance and all of those types of things. But having that on top of something like Zylo or something like that means that the the to me, the sale back into the company is actually really quite easy because if I look at, say, our, our product list, which isn't full at the moment, we've got about 250 SaaS products. Now, if I look at managing that properly, you're talking three or four heads. 
Mm-hmm. But if I go and get something like Vendor Peter and Zell and bring those two together, actually I can use those tools to reduce myself down to one end, which yeah. might becomes very cost neutral as well as actually giving me you know all of that automation on the back end that I don't need to worry about yeah. quite so much and not needing as much knowledge as well. So you know these tools are starting to come to that peak it, now. It, 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 there's sort of become a platform around it. So you've got vendor, the E N D R, who are a basically a SaaS procurement as a service. So they've often buy Salesforce for you at a competitive rate. Mm-hmm. You've got a brand new startup called the wonderfully named Capiche, um, <laughs> who are who are gathering or trying to gather benchmarking data for pricing. So you sign up and you share your pricing and therefore you can gather everybody else's pricing for say Salesforce or Adobe or yeah. whatever or Zoom and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have all these things coming together and I can see that there's a somewhere you yeah. can go and see a large organization existing well then go and buying all that and plugging into this. Why can you do that for SaaS but you can't do that for Microsoft? Well I question how you well, do it for SaaS. Mm, probably anonymously I would imagine. But even yeah. even with Microsoft you know, yeah. you've got an NDA yeah. that mm. you're not allowed to you're not even you're not even allowed to share that with your partner that's helping you manage it, mm-hmm. let alone yeah. help the internet. I, I, I think I think they're anonymizing it to a certain extent providing ranges based on what your vertical is. It's, it's all about uh, convincing yeah. within a negotiation. So obviously we deal with lots and lots and lots of companies that get varying discounts from varying vendors. Mm-hmm. And we can say to one particular vertical, so in your industry, we were able to achieve X. And they go, oh, brilliant. So we go back to the vendor and the vendor was like, well, actually, the account manager's already done this target. And so actually, I know you might have got that, but actually I'm not very interested. Or, or whatever it might be there. So it's about how you can convince the person you're looking to negotiate with when you get that ability to execute. And it, it comes <coughs> back to a lack, of, a lack of transparency around SaaS pricing in particular. Mm-hmm. Something like, it's over 70% of pricing for SaaS enterprise products isn't public. Mm-hmm. It's as you would expect, because mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's local arrangements and, and, and so on. But getting that transparency about a service that you are actually just going to buy, um, and you know, maybe not have that sales interaction, you just want to self-service, you need to have that price. Um, and that's what they Danny, have you looked into service now and how that works with SaaS and Just about starting. Just yeah. about starting. <clears throat> yeah, so as I've said previously, you know, although we're just going on to the ServiceNow model, yeah. it's about 18 months behind most of the other, but whenever you put anything new in, you know, you know it's gonna take 18 months, 24 months to start getting it's the value out of it. Yeah. And with the amount of money they're throwing at the, the tool, mm. it'll be there in 18 months. So <clears throat> I'm not particularly bothered that they're not quite there yet because geez, the company isn't either. Yeah. But <clears throat> yeah, SaaS and everything else, they're doing an awful lot more plugins into lots of areas. Yeah. You know, they're they're, yeah, they're very good about providing that single window so that even if they don't have the capability at the moment, they would look at like integrating mm-hmm. into Xylo and you can ask them to go and do that and then they'll bring that information into the yeah, tool. You're still the way you build that connection yourself, aren't they? Doing yeah. Like a so they're doing, they're, yeah, the, uh, which comes out, I think, either at the last release or the next release. It's they're next they're building out that. New York, is it? Yeah, the, the new yeah, API yeah. integrator. Yeah. Just out of yeah. Yeah. Is it? Yeah, so it's just yeah. that now, yeah. So that's that yeah. API integrator. Yeah. So we looked at that and what it seemed to be good at was actually looking at some of the key SaaS vendors, yes, be able to identify them and then go and API into those ones and then pull that information back. 
I guess what they're trying to do is expand the, I guess. So they're giving you the a generic screen, one so that yeah. you can then build it into the other ones that they haven't yeah. actually built yeah, automatically. Exactly. So yeah. yeah. Box and sales yeah. And the obvious ones. So they've done them, yeah. Access yeah. the code so you, you can build out your portfolio mm. as, as yeah. you see it. But I think they're showing a bit of humility now because before they were saying Sampro is the best thing since sliced bread. And now they're saying actually we don't mind if you're using other tools because we'll get you eventually sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they know that the roadmap is the amount of money they're throwing at it, they'll, yeah. they'll come along. My concern with ServiceNow is they have this very aggressive roadmap and what happens if you don't have automated testing, orchestration, all of the things behind the scenes in ServiceNow, the service wrap for ServiceNow that enables you to upgrade at the pace of that roadmap, you're going to fall behind. Yeah, you're allowed to fall behind. So, yeah. Yeah. so they, they, they literally they drag pieces. you forward. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we, we've they, got, they, they stood up. Sorry, they stood up at the keynote, not last year, year before, saying, "Don't configure. You know, yeah. just take yeah. out of the box and come with us. You're not going to get the cool stuff if you configure it and take it down this." And that's kind of how we got a service now practice, and that's effectively what they will not allow customers to um, configure. They will um, they will customize. Uh, sorry, no. Whichever way around it is, so you can upgrade. They won't customize yeah, yeah, they will yeah. configure. So, so they will actually say that we won't do it. Sorry, because we know that when you want to upgrade, it won't work. Yeah. So we've been to a couple of different conferences. Um, um, over the last 12 months, um, we've noticed a, a, a change so far in the industry um, around another IBM, um, Oracle and SAP are talking about these partnership programs, uh, which are more uh, moving away from auditing and more around optimization. So what I know from the um, IBM is the IASP program, and they are working with four named consultants and um, the process is you start with a um, looking at all your sort of entitlements um, and doing a full review of the entitlements and they have access to um, databases that you don't normally have as a, as a client and they verify all the entitlements then they move into doing a baseline report um, and through that baseline report, they can recommend the best way to sort of optimize your entitlement. And then what normally happens is you start this process and then you would agree a timeline um, with IBM where you uh, provide a baseline report. And the baseline report is a, um, a set of you know, columns that you would provide. It's not like a, an audit process, and it's a high level baseline. And the reason that you, you give that to um, IBM is because it's verified by one of these IASP partners. Um, and they sort of rubber stamp it to say that, yes, we've been working with the client and we can see that they have the correct processes in place. Um, and then from, from then onwards, um, it's a light touch verification. So the program runs, um, you know, you can, you can sign up to it as long as you like, but you can have like this 12 months period. So you do your first initial baseline, you provide a high level baseline report to IBM and it's a rubber stamped by the, the third party. And then you do a verification every quarter um, with the third party to say thumbs up that they're doing the right thing. Um, and it just means that you are educating um, 
the people working on RBM within your company on as how to manage. They have the experience of the tool sets as well, so they can help you with the recognition. So and what, the configuration. If, what if I wanted to do that myself? What if I'm an end user and I've got a mature sound practice yeah. and I just want to submit those reports on a quarterly basis? Is that going to fly with them? No, it has to be through. If you want to be through an ISP provider, it's got to be uh, with the. Um, but three of which are. Four. Big four consulting companies. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like a, a, it's a good point on mine because you do assess your maturity at the outset, so they'll know what investment and what mentoring the third party will have to give to you. So it doesn't matter where you are in the maturity curve, um, you could be top end and very, very mature, and you know, flex area or any tool set is configured correctly, I or IMC is configured, and you know where you are, therefore, it's a lighter touch. and um, a lot more confidence in the data or they can take you from having nothing and building that practice out and still educating the internal customers but also um, having the confidence with that when you send that report to IBM they're not going to you know throw it back in your face so to speak. Can they do that directly though? Sorry, I thought IBM used to do that directly. It's a change. If you go through the IAS but you just don't get an audit. It's like a contractual waiver uh, to say that you know you will not be. I think it's slightly corrupt. It's a good program. If oh girl, only if I can, can do it myself. To, it's, it can yeah. be fairly light touch. To me, it's kind of been auditable. It is. It is. Well, I was just going to say because isn't the reports that have to be done quarterly under passport advantage, and in order to obtain the benefits of subcapacity licensing, you have to do your quarterly reports. So. Well, so, so you have to store two years worth of reports, and IBM can, under the password of group, can ask for them at any point. Right. And that's yes. the bit I'm interested in how that's impacted by the ISAP. So yeah. it basically, you would, it, it, the, so the audit clause that you have with, with IBM, it's just that there's a change to that clause because you're having this verification. So basically, the third party is verifying those reports. Um, you know, and the methodology behind them. So there is no real need for it. Gives IBM that confidence. Not, it's not just about giving IBM this, but it means you have complete control within your organisation. You can prove yeah. to your C-suite that we are verified by a third party to say that we are completely in control. Yeah. And not only that, it's not just about verification, it's about optimization as well. It's about the using things and you're getting the best industry knowledge and advice. And at the moment, this the, the way that they're pitching it, it, it seems like a, a really good deal. When you look at consultancy pricing uh, and what you get, it looks like a good deal. So this is the album, which is quite contractual and very documented. From what we've seen from Oracle, it's something similar, but it's more unofficial. It's advisory. Yeah, it's advisory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's not chargeable. Does it, does it actually get you around the island, the necessity to have island saver? There is, I think... Well, I'm just saying, Dan, because you're shaking your head, but I'm just thinking, because IMT is there to enable you to do subcapacity sub licensing. Yes. It's, a, it's a contractual requirement for subcapacity licensing, yeah. right? However, if you're signing a new contract, which obliges you to almost provide these reports to enable optimization of your state going forward, if they can do that, verify that, use it, that verification using the tools you would have got, where's the need for IMT? 
No, and I understand that. But that, as far that, as I know of the, of the like program, to... you still have to have the ILMT. This, all this bit yeah, is so mitigates the old bit. Or an ILMT equivalent. Yeah, yeah. 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 we'll flex every young one there to yeah. sign up. Isn't there one more? But if you're submitting, if you're submitting to this this verification process that one of the big four is going to do for you, yeah, all right, they will take, if you're signing up to ISAP, they will take whatever data you've got, won't they, effectively. So therefore, if you're doing that and IBM signed up there, you can actually do that and they can verify your license position. IBM happy for that. Why do you still need to deploy LNT? Okay. To qualify for subcapacity reporting, but if you've you need got to keep the rest of the yeah. If you've got third-party consultancy, yeah. you've got third-party consultancy, yeah. verifying your license, then the same thing. Why do you have to do that? Because they, they, to they, get they, to the license position, you need to be able to run the reports for subcapacity. Are you saying double bubble? So, so they, they, it's they're, 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 saying it's actually, it's IBM being really, well, it is, you're right, it is two different things, but I also think that one removes the necessity for the other. You know what I mean? Why is this going to work? And the Microsoft one didn't because Microsoft did it 18 months, two yeah, years ago. They did a similar was. program. I think that tried in the past. Share yeah, your yeah, data. Well, it's like a continuum audit thing. Why is this yeah. going to work with Microsoft failed? I think my personal view, and I'm, you know, we've not signed up to it. My personal view is that you are getting um, a fairly good deal from a very structured program and some great advice on how to, to manage a product um, which is very complex. Um, to try and educate your stakeholders, to try and educate your um, ITAM managers uh, in this very complex area, take, you know, you can't send them on you know, two week courses mm. and they're all going to soak it all in. It you just doesn't work like that. Like, you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Listen, we've done the Jeez. least subscription. <laughs> and even though the IBM module is very good, it's yeah, no, not going to yeah. be enough to, to manage the IBM estate. <laughs> in terms of, yeah. if you look at the vendor landscape, obviously, if you look at Microsoft, they want everything on consumption in 365 and Azure because they can effectively bill you for what you're using. And whilst that is, there's some ability to overspend on that, ultimately there is a kind of fairness to that. And I said this to the guys at IBM and Oracle, so like, if you continue to audit, you put your customer relationship at, at peril, and actually all you're doing is you're trying to make them pay for stuff they've overused. But actually, that doesn't help the relationship, because you've got cloud stuff, or you've got you know, with IBM, you've got the Watsons and the key radars and all the yeah. fancy new stuff. And if you get into an audit situation where the customer feels they have been ripped off for, for whether they're correct or not, and black and white, they're probably not, they then go, I don't want to buy any of the new shiny stuff. I'll go to another vendor. And I think that's probably the behind why they're putting these programs out there. So there is a bit more of a, that will help you guys along. I don't know, I'm, I'm a bit more cynical and kind of go, oh, I know you oh, are. Kind of, <laughs> kind of go, do you know what? The only reason we're doing this is to reduce their costs and increase their revenue, which improves their P&L. Yeah, yeah. That's the only way I see them doing anything like this. It, it, it's, it, it, it's more a case of shoring up their revenue because yeah. if you look, Microsoft revenue is going up, Adobe revenue is going up, IBM revenue is flat, it's all down. Oracle revenues flattened down, so they're, so they're also trying to short Adobe used to audit like crazy, didn't yeah. they? Yes. And there was fines coming out left, right, and centre. 
and then they closed down their audit arm and they came with this subscription model and i remember looking at it at the time thinking well what about all my old perpetual licenses we don't want to move into this model we don't know how to manage it i thought how is this going to work you know what i mean but then look what's happened everybody's had to get on board with it and, and the revenues have gone up so you know mm. is it is better to do it proactively than it is reactively so elizabeth's letter what are best practices to track credit card purchase of software that users or a manager would make without proper approvals? Um, I assume this falls back to scanning of software on devices. What about software that's cloud-based? So, uh, so, so how do you go about that? Well, I think <laughs> sackable offense done. We touched on this a little bit with, with SAS, but there's the, yeah. the, I think it's industry standard that you don't buy software on a credit card for perpetual. That's pretty, that's a given, right? Yep. Yeah, but everyone, but everyone does it. Um, I mean, my, one of my previous employees, um, we got a credit card spend to credit cards and we just ran through it as a database process. Yeah. And yeah. we just blocked everyone's credit cards on that particular type. And credit card vendor we had at the time would allow us to put blocks on certain things. So if it that's a good idea. Yeah. 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 So they can do that for SaaS as well. So, well, yeah, I mean, it's a, but it's the same thing that Silo so or Shell now. But they do it retrospectively. Yeah. The vendor we we had as our credit card company, corporate credit card company, would proactively put a block on a particular type of purchases. So, LinkedIn subscriptions were allowed. Software subscriptions were not allowed. Perpetual software subscriptions. Still found ways around it. You went down to PC one, yeah. There's always a way around something else. One thing I will say though is, you know, blocking the credit cards or saying, no, right, that's it, it's a sackable thing. I'm sorry, but I know at least a dozen SaaS products that you can only buy using a credit card, yeah. and thus you cannot buy that product yeah, in yeah. any yeah. other way. Yeah. So unfortunately, yeah. unless you've got a centralized credit card, yeah, yeah exactly. there's oh, yeah. there's problems with it. Yeah, yeah. Jira do that, yeah, it? yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. the only way you can do it. But yeah, I mean, uh, one organisation where we did exactly that. They stopped people buying it on their own yeah. corporate credit. And, and, and we did that in a procurement cards in a yeah. previous organisation. But I think they just said you've got to have a good relationship with your finance yeah. guys. That's it's really really important that they actually understand what you're after and you can get reports from them. Which is definitely you run through the database, pick out all the all the transactions which you think are dodgy, and then you just. You know, we implemented a process at that same same place where the users would actually get a warning email and a copy of the policy and then a conversation from the IT asset manager saying, like, okay, here's what we're doing. You cannot do this over there. We either move that across to a corporate credit card, or sorry, a, a procurement card, or you cancel it. Also, I mean, is this coming back to this sense of all oh, the businesses being naughty, we've got to stop them, or do we actually need to start thinking about how do we enable the business to, yep. and embrace yep. it, but embrace it in a way that there is a pathway as, as this stuff grows and as we realize that actually this is becoming important to our business, that there is a pathway to bring it under an appropriate level of management. Yes. Well, there's a shadow in the Well, subscription yeah. software now is only what cloud was five years ago. Yeah. Cloud five years ago, every IT manager said it's not a problem because they didn't know it existed. In fact, they, did, they had a problem. The SAS is exactly the same. Everyone says we haven't got a problem, it's easy to manage. It's because you only know about 50% of it. Yeah. And, that, and to exactly that point, my biggest problem is 
I can look through credit cards. I've got no idea what 99% of the companies are on it, <laughs> unless it says Tesco or Sainsbury's or something like that. Because they've got weird and wonderful names. I mean, Alex, this comes back to what we were saying about what's the thrust of your SaaS management. Is it cost management? In which case, you know what? Look at Dilo. Or is it security management? Do you care about where the data is, is residing with this tool? Is it in Russia somewhere? Do you care about what um, files might be shared through this tool? Do you care yeah. about the security aspects? In which I think case, it's both. Well, that's a bit like the open source thing that, that Richard from Paul came about. It is a bit of both, isn't it? It is, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, from a financial institution, is I've got to make sure that it's secure, what data is going out there, is it GDPR, and all that type of stuff before I allow it to come on as a SaaS service. The problem being is the chances are I've already bought that SaaS service, and I now need to go and double check and make sure that I've done mm. all of those checks and balances yeah. because of this and that whole credit card. I want people to use SaaS services. I want people to go out and be productive and get more product, you know, sell things and do the things that we've employed them to end up doing. But I also want to have control over that so that we do it in a constructive manner. So, and that's where the problem is. Educate your users and get them to come to you and say, these are the things we bought. As long as you're not going to punish them for it, you, you know, it's kind of like the, the old handing your knives at the police station. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That type of scenario. I think part, part of the solution as well is from the software publishers themselves is that we talked about this in the last podcast, I think, with Microsoft is doesn't matter where the purchase has come from, I'll, I'll acknowledge that purchase as part of your agreement. Mm. So it might have been rogue, but I'll still put it yeah. as a credit source. So I think the SaaS cost management is very much a short-term goal mm. um, because if you've got a wild west and you, you're not really managing, you'll, you'll find your costs, you'll, you'll squash those quite quickly because SaaS is monthly or annually contracted, not three years. So you can very quickly get a handle of your, on your costs. It's the risk associated, even those risks associated with applications that you've authorized. Because things get breaches all the time. I, I was talking to one of the vendors uh, yesterday, and they were talking about Canva. Um, Canva is a, um, a desktop publishing um, graphic, design, graphic yeah. design application. They had a, quite a major security breach earlier this year. The thing was, Canva uses permissions from G Suite and so on, and has access to, or maybe access to your Dropbox or so on. So, and this particular tool was able to go and see who was using Canva and go in and take those permissions away in Dropbox, in G Suite, or definitely G Suite, I'm not sure about Dropbox. Um, so that way you've immediately squashed, so you've, you've had a security incident, okay, who's using it, what's the impact, how do I stop it? And you have that journey, and that's a SaaS management journey as much as, so that's more about SaaS operations, that's, yeah. that's, where, it, that's where it's going between ITAM and security and compliance and so on. Do you not think, I'll be careful what I say here, because our procurement teams are really good. But, <laughs> <laughs> but procurement could be the same because they've got the bandwidth. And yeah. Because they, outsource, they, they allow. It's never £50,000 or exactly. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Uh, exactly. no, it's, we can't pay attention to that. We can't do that. We'll, we'll allow you to do that. Yeah. Or it's easy to do that. It's... Job of the week. Week. So did anyone see this on WhatsApp earlier? This is uh, Senior Manager of ITAM at Citrix. <laughs> the software vendor in Cambridge. Cambridge Mass or Cambridge here? Cambridge. UK. UK. Okay. Okay. That is about then, is that actually managing their own software asset management or is that around? Audit. 
audit. Mm. Mm. It's internal ITS at management. All right, okay. Yeah. yeah. So Citrix is really interesting, of course, because they must do a shed load of development. They do. Yeah. Mm. Shed load. I mean, that is their fundamental oh, business, isn't it? Well. Yeah. yeah. You're not going to have to worry about audits that much. I wouldn't have thought. Would I think guess? you would have. And we do software vendors audit each other? Yes. Yes, they, they do. do. A lot. I mean, yeah. can you imagine they the kind of use it to try and hit each other over the head with a big yeah. metal iron. It depends on the ecosystem, I guess, because they are what they call frenemies with a lot of those yeah. semi-competitive vendors. Um, but obviously they compete against, I guess, VMware being an obvious one yeah. in the workspace side and then a whole load of the sort of network security vendors on the on the kind of net scalary so so if, so i guess the other thing of course is have have citrus had any breaches or anything i mean might this be security driven rather than compliance driven you love security a bit don't you mm? you love security you didn't lay earlier this year i thought it did oh, uh, yeah. this year or yeah things last year wasn't some source code leaks or something. It's within the shared engineering services. Yeah, to, so to your point about engineering. Right. Yeah, it was. It was back in March this year. Um, large amounts of customer data, long-term access to internal Citrix systems. Oh, Governance around software, you'll lead the development of an ITAM team, uh, build a team. So they're starting from scratch, aren't they? Possibly, yeah. Mm. Interesting though, isn't it? How, like you say, major vendors are uh, going out and, and looking for this, and they're obviously looking for um, specialty to come externally rather than um, you know look internally. Well, I remember I met the guy from SAP that did SAM internally at SAP, mm. and he was speaking at a conference yeah. specifically to defend against audits, you know, like to show that they were competent at yeah. doing SAM internally, yeah. defend against other software yeah. publishers. So, I definitely, I think it's definitely yeah. a risk. I recently read the Phoenix Project. I'm now an evangelist for this. Apparently, there is a subgenre of novels that explain management frameworks, and the Phoenix, the Phoenix Project explains DevOps. Actually, the Citrix job, it occurs to me, might be really interesting from that perspective as well. Doing SAM in a, an environment which is DevOps, completely agile, constantly two-week sprints. So Lego present and what they did was they talked about an agile way of doing software asset management. Personally my view on it is that you can't do an agile project when you're running a full SAM implementation from the ground up. What is interesting I think you can have an agile way of prioritizing vendors and then you can also have an agile way of prioritizing objectives and i think that's you know what we're trying to do if we decide a month in that we need to reprioritize and by doing this software risk management as well where we look at everything that is a potential risk there's no reason why we say day one of the project these are our 10 priorities instead looking at the risk we could then do an agile and then move things out of the project and prioritize things up so i think it's interesting doing agile but in a, um, a way that prioritizes your objectives. No, but it, it, I think essence of Agile is you're listening to what the customer wants yeah. rather than going off in a direction yeah. and you're changing direction based on that feedback. Yeah. And, and every SAM, SAM 
team we're talking about now, yeah. switching them from a compliance module to actually yes. a business value. Yes. Then that's where yeah. we need to get to. Actually, so that's IT in a nutshell because everyone, it's either a cost center. Shh, don't say that. It's a, uh, <laughs> well, no, it is. People see it as a cost center, no one actually a service provider. And you have to switch the mindset from one to the other. Yeah. And that's where you. So the conversation we've had internally now was the key stakeholders, too, is actually around what do you want from, yeah. from an ITAM function? Mm. You know, do you want bean counting, old school, or do you want actual optimization, value, change of you know, ethics, roadmap, you know, alignment, all that type of well, stuff. Not, not even, I, I prob they probably don't know what they want, but it's even just to listen to say, what do you need help with? Give what are you working point. on? Yeah. This right. is information. You ask the right question to allow them Because what's the point going every month? So every, every if you, if you set out your governance structure and you go, we're going to meet you on a quarterly or a monthly basis, and I'm going to tell you how many databases you consume, where you consume, and what platform you And they go, I know, but it's going to get a bit boring after a couple of months when nothing really seems quite static or it quite doesn't change mm. so much, actually. But what does that mean to you? Like, why are we running this version? Why are we doing this? What what what, what dependencies have we got on that? And that's how it can drive yeah. a business conversation. It makes them... That's exactly, yeah, that's exactly what we did for our, our customers. They had a, a really, relatively established SAM program, but they were talking about ones and zeros. And they were going to different stakeholders saying, oh, look, I'm not actually using seven of them. And you've got a deficit of two. And I was like, great. <laughs> it's almost like what they asked us to do is to almost translate ITAM numbers into more specific colloquial languages. Basically, <laughs> <laughs> a finance person is interested in the numbers, actual pounds and pence, or other currencies that are available. Um, the engineering people are more in about how uh, productive those particular people are. We talk about concurrent licensing in the engineering app space. Actually, yeah, if I've got a massive headroom of licensing or I haven't got enough headroom, it means that people can't log on and do the work. But there are different requirements for different types of people. Yeah. Like, jargon buster. Jargon buster! Clusters via the medium of cake. And it's going to be live. Go on, Barry. This is actually interesting, though, because Cupcakes. normally, normally, when we're doing this, and for the benefit of listeners, when we're doing this from our various little offices around the country, you don't get this. We just get a bit of silence. Everyone's waiting for me to speak. Here, I have got a dozen people looking at 400 <laughs> audience <laughs> looking at you. So it's, it's two, two, correct me if I'm wrong, Scott, you're a technology guy as well. So there's two basic purposes for a server cluster, high-performance computing and failover. So high-performance computing is less of an issue these days because of the introduction of, of processes with more and more cores, more powerful servers, and not many people do high-performance computing anymore. But basically what you would have done once upon a time was bind a load of servers together, uh, or cakes, to create one single kind of super cake with every flavor imaginable in it. But in terms of so payloader clusters, like you bind a number of servers together, so you have your, your active nodes and passive nodes. Um, and basically the purpose is that the passive node picks up the workload of the active node if the active node fails. So with a cake, it's almost like baking two cakes for somebody's birthday party. And if one of them falls apart, you've still got a second cake that you can. However, you drop the cake, you've got them. Yes, that's well done, Barry. I will say cautionary tale here, though. If, if you're doing this from a licensing perspective, like a secret server or something like that, your second cake 
could not be of a higher spec than the original cake. Can't so it can't, have, it can't have more currants, can't have more tears. It's got to have the same number of currants or fewer than your original cake. Could we have a quick round of applause for our host, for hostness at SEC? Thanks for the coffee. Quick close. Could we do a quick round the tape? And I want to know what your memorable moment was from 2019. So I'm Jeff Worsley. I made the leap from end user consulting salesperson to contract market this year. There's a podcast. Loads of people want to do that. And I think 2020, more people are going to realise that cloud is not silver bullet. Stuart Pomfret. I made the leap from um, Sam, general Sam person, to Sam and software person. Um, Is that good? I'll let you know in about end of March. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's my prediction for, well, I know, I don't know what. I think the interesting thing has been acquisitions this year, across the board from retailers to technologies. Yeah, I think certainly cost management has been will be in a very, very hot topic next year if it isn't already. So again, I guess that's coming back to the acquisition topic. Um, I'm, I'm Rory Canavan. The, uh, the two highlights I've got for 2019, one was to get to Vegas to see um, the uh, knowledge. Magic Mike. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I wasn't meant to say that, sorry. Uh, it, was, it was to the ServiceNow event, which I, was just mind-blowing in terms of size and scale. I think that was... Uh, Ticking the box, and also for uh, working so um, hard for Kylie <laughs> over, over the last eight months. And I think my prediction for 2020 is that she'll end up um, owning some chart. <laughs> that is so good. She already does, mate. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What Rory's trying to say is I'm a bit bossy. Yes, Do you know what never came across? <laughs> they come across daily. Shocker. Shocker. <laughs> Oh, actually, my, my highlight of 2019 was the use of... Um, Watch your body squirm. Glory, glory holes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, our video, yes. yes. Yeah, your glory hole video. We'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Uh, glory hole being a large hole in a lake where the water goes in, obviously. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> More stuff to add moving, moving quickly. on, moving on. Danny Beck. My big move this year was moving back up to Scotland. Uh, moved away from there 20 years ago in order to go and work in the big smoke here in London and decided, nah, actually I've had enough, I'll go back up north. So really useful for me uh, in this past year. My predictions for 2020 are a little bit the same as what Jeff was saying in relation to cloud being the silver line. I think some early adopters of cloud will start to realize that actually as the enter year four, that thing that, that the cost is constantly there and thus the cost of actually running on their own data center now in an, a, a cloud data center is now just escalating. Uh, and some new adopters of it may end up kind of pulling back some of the strings once they see some of those reports coming out from early adopters. So I think it, it starts to become really quite interesting to that space now. Hi, I'm Barry. Uh, my highlight for this year uh, professionally was speaking at four different com- conferences in four consecutive months in three different countries and finding people actually listening to me, which was uh, unusual. So uh, prediction for next year is that everybody starts using cake in their business cases to sell items. <laughs> mm. Okay, shall I go? Rachel Ryan. Um, my, obviously this year I, I moved to Danske Bank in January. Um, 
and I've been working in Copenhagen and Lithuania. Um, one of the highlights, I think, has been working in Copenhagen and Lithuania. Uh, I have a team in Lithuania. I've never um, been before. Um, it's not on the tourist map normally, and it's been an amazing place to visit throughout the different seasons, and I've got a great team there. Um, the, uh, again, I think one of the other highlights was, and I think for our management as well, was as well presenting at Gartner this year. We've done quite a lot of conferences this year, but we did quite, um, you know, double stage at Gartner, and uh, and that was good because our management team were there to see us as well. So um, next year, I think it's going to be very much for us. It's going to be around optimization and value driven, moving away from talking about compliance and, and like you call said, bean counting. Um, it's going to be more around this is how much we can save you. This is the optimization. This is the cost reduction. This, we're there at the table with our stakeholders around the large negotiations. David Foxon, Sam Beast Consulting, Natural Plug. Uh, kind of like Jeff, this year has been all about going out on my own, seeing if I can make it in this big bad world. I survived year one just, just by the skin <laughs> of my teeth. Um, uh, the biggest thing for me this year, as I'm sure no one has mentioned, has been the changes in sea levels at your SAP and your service nows. Um, and what that's going to mean for next year, and also the introduction of the licensing for Java. Next year, uh, I think there's going to be a big focus on cloud asset management and software as a service, um, primarily around, like you said, Scott, earlier about driving from the cost perspective, but then looking at managing that moving forward. Um, on a personal level for next year, yeah, it's just surviving year two as an independent consultant. So my services are available from February, please. <laughs> so very quickly, from both of you, that might be asking, Word of advice for anyone that is just about to leave and embark on a new, uh, just do what you would, what, what would you? Don't, wait day? until yeah. IR35 gets sorted out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which, you which you won't. Which you won't, yeah. Right. Can we say something a bit more positive than don't? <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, agreed. Um, I had mortgage children and wives to deal with, um, or as an additional cost. So, yeah, I mean, I think just doing, just got to go for it. Do it. Um, and if you're going to do it as an individual consultant, decide if you're going to be cons a consultant or a contractor. Yeah, that's what that that's the biggest thing, and that's what I keep getting told from you guys is you've got to know the difference between a contractor and a consultant. The thing is, I mean, I, I, going back seven, nearly eight years, yeah. I mean, I, I started up exactly way as a contractor, and it's only over the last three years or so I've shifted more into consulting, where I'm actually taking on more clients at a time and have a wider portfolio, and that was enabled. By the fact that I actually had one client come in and said, We only need you for one day a week. That's it. And then I started landing work from other consultancies that needed my specialist skills. What Barry said, I'm available for exactly what Barry said. <laughs> <laughs> but it is sometimes, sometimes it's love and just being in the right place. Yeah, absolutely. Well, absolutely. When I first met you two, yeah, uh, network, network like crazy. crazy marks marks that in my yeah. So I have had a quietly satisfying year and I've been trying to think about things to say that don't involve me and myself. But actually it has been a really nice year. It's been really thought provoking. I feel like I am learning how to really help my clients, no matter what the size, drive value from their software asset management. And it's, uh, it's been a really nice year. Scott, so professionally this year, moving back into the end user community, um, working back with Oracle. I think from a specific Oracle piece, I think Java has been a massive 
change to the industry. I think people have overlooked it to a point, um, including Oracle themselves. I think it's massive, and I think that will continue into 2020. Uh, personally, becoming a father again for a third child. I'm getting a new job. <laughs> new, new jobs, new house, and uh, had a baby. So, oh, you yeah. really made it your year. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations to your wife. Next year, I think, um, massively around business value, having a proper conversation with key stakeholders is key for ITAM uh, and moving that forward from compliance. Um, the other thing is around, I think, containerization is going to be absolutely huge. I think it's going to continue to be a massive. Uh, it's all in our sides until someone really builds out with clarity around them. So. I can't believe you didn't say the biggest highlight of the year was working with me again. <laughs> and there goes your bonus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well done for your first six well, months. Well, <laughs> do you want to re-record it? Yeah. <laughs> no. <For a> <laughs> <laughs> I tell the heavy day. <laughs> It's still not enough. It was implied. It's probably more visual. That's how you start your agile, AJ. Um, personally, I think personal highlight would be probably seeing my son on stage. Uh, he's, he's 10 years old and um, he goes to the theatre group and he stood up in front of a really big audience and really smashed it playing Medusa um, as a Greek evil god thing, which is actually quite handy. He's quite good at that sort of thing anyway. Um, but he does a much better job on stage than I do, and that was pretty, pretty, pretty impressive for someone who wasn't very confident. Um, if you've got kids, send them to theatre school. It's brilliant. Um, and um, professionally, working for Martin and the rest of the team, we've had a brilliant year. Um, and I think all this stuff... Martin's suddenly been taken ill. It's, um, it's, it's the best job I've ever had. Um, sorry, Julia. I know you're not here today, but uh, when you when you hear it, this is the best job, best job I've ever had. So um, it's uh, it's really great. I think for next year um, predictions. Uh, well, I'd like to say it's going to be the year of SAS because I'm going to be writing about it and researching and publishing and getting there before um, other analyst firms beginning with G and F and all those other ones. <laughs> um, so so that should be good. But I think actually what we'll see is a, is a whole bunch of puns on 2020 vision and marketing yes. and discovery and looking into I wonder who do that <laughs> <laughs> all that sort of thing so yeah new, new decade are you just and you <laughs> can you say working with rachel just so it's on yeah my highlight <laughs> was meeting with rachel this year yeah. <laughs> personally i uh, met an amazing woman in april after two years of being on dating apps. Oh dear. Oh, that's been mind boggling. So um, that's been my personal highlight. Uh, professionally, um, without wanting to make you gag again, I've uh, got an amazing team around me uh, that are practically running things without me. So I'm gonna be going back to being an analyst next year in 2020, doing what I love, which is getting amongst it and rattling the cage and going out there, so. Cool. Very much looking forward to doing that. Nice. Excellent. Cool. With that, that's a wrap. Great. Merry Christmas, everyone. Yeah. Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas. Merry Christmas. Oh, oh, oh.